Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Listen now for God's word to us. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him, I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. So once again, we see Jesus up on a mountaintop. Apparently, he likes to be on mountains. It's a kind of a running theme with him. The past few weeks, we've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount, as you recall where Jesus was literally on a mountain teaching, teaching his disciples, teaching all of those who are following along with him. But now he's on a new mountain, somewhere else. And this time, he doesn't take all of the disciples. There's no crowds following him to this mountain. The experience on this mountain is only intended for three select people, Peter, James, and John. What happens on this mountain is not meant for everyone to experience, only them. And after this experience, it won't be long before they begin their trip to Jerusalem. And Jesus will eventually find himself on another mountain, Mount Calvary. Important things happen with Jesus on mountains. But the contrast between what happens on this mountain and what happens on the next mountain is quite stark. In many ways, the, the transfiguration story we read today is, is a precursor or a foreshadowing of the resurrection. Jesus' face shines like the sun. His clothes become dazzling white. He's there with the prophets of old, Moses and Elijah. And then a voice comes down from heaven, confirming Christ's identity as God's son, just like his baptism. It's one of the few moments in the Gospels when Jesus' true heavenly glory fully shines through and the people are able to see it. There's a lot about this story that is mysterious and strange. It's, It's a very interesting story. The imagery is absolutely breathtaking. The appearance of Moses and Elijah is largely unexplained. Why are they there? What did they say to Jesus? It says that they talked. What did they talk about? Peter suggests building tents for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And he's interrupted by the voice of God. 
At this, he and the other two fall to the ground in fear. A proper response to, the, to God's voice coming from heaven. And when they get up, those ancient prophets who had, who had appeared are now gone. And this experience is certainly overwhelming for them. I mean, it's, it's a lot to take in. It's, it's incredible. You, these are not the types of things that you experience every day. Even when you're with Jesus himself, this is still somehow unique, special. The text tells us they were afraid and they fell down when they heard the voice from heaven. But I think, I think you can almost hear the fear in Peter's voice even before that. He says, Lord, it, it, it's good for us to be here? I, I don't know. It's like he's trying to convince himself. It, the, it's almost like the veil has been opened a little bit to reveal something, and, and he, he doesn't quite know what to do with that. And what does he expect is going to happen if they pitch tents for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus? Are they going to have a camp out on this mountain? Like, Jesus, we'll pitch some tents, I'll build us a fire, we'll have some s'mores, it'll be great. What, what, why build tents on this mountain? It, it, it seems like Peter is both terrified of what is taking place, but is also so in awe of it that he's trying to hold on to it. He, he doesn't, want to let it go. He's clinging to it. He knows that experiences like this don't come along every day. He's been following Jesus for some time now. He was among the first that Jesus called. And most of the time spent with him has been, while remarkable, nothing quite like this. This is a rare mountaintop moment, and terrified though he may be, Peter doesn't want it to end. He wants to hold on to it, to cling to it, Perhaps it's because he, he knows a bit about what's coming next, whether he wants to admit it to himself or not. These are the mountaintop experiences of faith that, for many of us, help sustain our faith during difficult times. These are the moments that we look back on in times of struggle, in times of doubt, times of uncertainty. The moments that we cling to because they help us to understand and make sense of everything else that we go through. And hopefully, they also empower us to stay along a certain path. I've, I've had a few mountaintop experiences in my life. Nothing quite like this. I've never hung out with Moses and Elijah. That would be cool. But, but I have had a few of these experiences that I would, you know, kind of call or describe as mountaintop-like. And a lot of them, uh, happened when I was in high school, in youth group. You know, going on like a mission trip or something like that. And anytime you have these experiences, you know, like Peter, you realize that this is special. This is, this is something worth holding on to, and you don't want to let it go. Coming home is always the hardest part. When you're on one of these trips, it's, there's this sense of, this, this is what we were made for. You know, we're, we're, we're just, we're here, we're together, we're, we're serving God together, we're worshiping together, we're having new experiences. There's something deeply sacred about it that you just want to hold on to it and not let it go. You want to be able to hold on to the things that you're feeling, to bottle them up and carry them around with you as a constant reminder that wherever you are, no matter what you face, that you still have this that you can cling to. But as soon as you come down from the mountain, as soon as you come home, the reality of life back in the real world quickly sets in. And you realize that that mountaintop experience was just that, something that happened 
up on that mountain that you can't take with you. It's this incredibly high and sacred place, but it doesn't exist in the valleys of life. You can't just take it with you. You can talk about it. You can remind yourself about it. Remind yourself of the experience. You can tell others about what you saw and did. But the contrast between what happens here on this mountain and then what happens back home, down in the valley, back at, in life, is jarring. It's difficult to deal with. The most incredible kind of contrast that I experienced was one summer when I was in high school, we went on a mission trip to Ensenada, Mexico. We spent a week down there. It was uh, just a group from my church um, serving in the slums of Ensenada. We did a VBS with a local church. We played tons of soccer with local kids. We visited orphanages. We repaired a bunch of roofs. Um, we helped feed people with different ministries. We had incredible prayer experiences with people. We worshiped at this amazing little church. There was a, a pastor there, Pastor Ernesto, a, a man I will never, ever forget. One of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life. Taught me more in that week about what it means to be a servant of God than I think anyone else throughout my entire life. My life and my faith was radically changed on this trip. I was in many ways transformed by this experience because I saw the face of Jesus in startling new ways in Mexico, ways that I had never seen or experienced before. But I came home to something I wasn't prepared for. This was right around the time that my parents were splitting up. I knew that we were going to be moving out of my childhood home at some point soon. We had started to pack things up, but wasn't exactly sure when it was going to happen. And then I come home and realize that my home is no longer my home. I had to go to a different house. That, that home didn't exist anymore. My mom and dad had each found a new place to live, and we were going to start splitting time between the two. And um, instead of going home to a house that had all my stuff in it, instead of going to my home, I went to a house that just had my stuff in it. It, it never felt quite like home. I came down from the mountaintop and was not prepared to face the reality of that valley. When I was in Mexico, I could forget about all that. You know, that didn't exist. That didn't, I, I could ignore the pain and the grief that I was experiencing at that time. There were no arguments there. I could just be. Like Peter, I wanted to pitch a few tents and just stay there. Just stay there for a while. But unfortunately, that's not where life is lived. We don't live on those mountaintops. It's always funny to try to talk about those experiences after the fact. It's nearly impossible to put into words, to, to adequately describe what you saw and what you felt. Interestingly, though, Jesus specifically tells Peter, James, and John to not talk about their experience. Not until after the Son of Man is raised from the dead not until after the resurrection. It, it's so strange for Jesus to bring himself up, to bring them up on this mountain, to reveal himself to them in, in, in this profound way that shows them his full glory and then tells them to keep it a secret. Don't, don't tell anybody about it. Because 
He knows what's coming up. He knows what's ahead. He knows they'll be off to Jerusalem soon. He knows the cross comes next. He knows the next time he's on a mountain, he will be hanging from a cross. Going down this mountain only leads to the next mountain, where Christ's work on earth will find its fulfillment, and his glory will be revealed again, but in a very different way, not through shining lights, the the brilliance of dazzling clothes, but through the suffering and death of our Savior. This will be the glory of his death, and then eventually his resurrection. And perhaps that's part of what this experience is about for the three that he brought along on this intimate mountaintop journey. Perhaps this is Jesus' way of showing them that he will bring about the things he says he will bring about. He has that power. He has that authority that the kingdom of God truly is at hand. Because this is the same guy who's been teaching that the poor in spirit are blessed. That the meek will inherit the earth. Not the powerful, not the wealthy, the meek. He's, this is the same guy who's been showing them that the way of life and the way to life is by serving others, sacrificially. Who taught them that we're supposed we're supposed to love our enemies and to pray for them. That we're to put others' needs before our own. This is the Christ who promises transformation of people and of our entire world. And in case there was any doubt that he is indeed capable of fulfilling such grandiose promises, he shows them this. If you have any doubt that the meek will inherit the earth, let me show you what I'm capable of. He reveals himself to them in such a way that reminds them that the kingdom of God is not just some pipe dream that that we dream about, that we talk about as if it may one day come. It's already here. It's a reality that is already at hand in the person of Christ. When Christ becomes transfigured, he demonstrates to these three people that he is capable. And perhaps it could even serve as a reminder for them when they see him hanging on that cross, being mocked by soldiers, telling him, if you're so powerful, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross, knowing that he could actually do such a thing if he wanted to. But he chooses not to. The the Christ who is capable of transfiguring his body and coming down from the cross chooses death instead. Now we often read this text and assume that he chose Peter, James, and John to come with him because they're they're a part of this inner circle of, of disciples that you know, they're, they're his closest, that these are the special three that he chose out of the twelve, that they are privy to things that others are not because they are chosen for some special reason. But I, I kind of wonder if it's the exact opposite of that, that these are the three who needed to see it the most because they had the most difficulty believing he was who he said he was. Perhaps these are the three who had the most doubts, the most struggles, who expected Jesus to be doing something different, who expected Jesus to be perhaps more powerful, demonstrating that more. Perhaps these were the ones who understood least what Jesus' ministry and his mission was truly about. After this, in chapter 20, James and John's mother 
comes to Jesus and begs him, begs him, Jesus, when you enter your kingdom, will you please have my two sons at your right hand and your left? Perhaps she wasn't the only one who was a bit confused about what Jesus' kingdom would actually look like. It's a, it's a bit of a startling text to be reading this week as well because we have Ash Wednesday this week. It's the beginning of Lent, that time of the Christian year where we pause and reflect for 40 days leading up to Christ's crucifixion. It's a time of confession, a time of repentance, a time of sacrifice. Many Christians observe this time by giving something up or by taking on some kind of new spiritual discipline. However we observe, however we observe this time, it is fitting, I think, that we would be reading this text on this Sunday, the week before Lent, because it too reminds us that as we get closer and closer to Good Friday and remembering the brutal, insufferable death of our Savior at the hands of the empire, that he is capable, that he is capable of transfiguring and transforming all things. His transfiguration preceded his resurrection, and his resurrection precedes his return, in which he will make all things new, in which he promises a new heaven and a new earth, in which this world will be transformed into the world that God created it to be. Because transfiguration leads to transformation. Lent is a time for us to begin to practice that transformation, to begin to live into that new reality, the new reality that Christ has ushered in. When the voice came from heaven, the disciples fell down in fear. I wonder which part of their experience was gave them the most fear. They seem to have been okay with Jesus lighting up like Clark Griswold's Christmas house, right? Seem to be okay with that. They, they're okay with the prophets of old miraculously showing up before them. They might be a little un, uneasy about it. They're, they're okay with all of that. But then there's the voice. And the voice just repeats what was said about Jesus at his baptism. What was it about that voice that struck the fear into them. Why was that the tipping point for them? The other things they saw and experienced seem enough to frighten most people. That might freak me out a little bit if I saw Moses and Elijah just standing there. But there's something about that voice from heaven that throws them on the ground in fear. And I wonder if what terrifies them most isn't simply the voice itself, but the command at the end of it. When God says to them, listen to him. Listen to him. This is the most difficult part of the whole experience. Because listening to Jesus means living our lives in a way that doesn't make sense to the world around us. Listening to Jesus means following him to the cross. Listening to Jesus means accepting the fit for these disciples especially it means accepting the fate that would eventually befall them and as we know from the stories of the crucifixion they weren't ready to listen to him just yet not completely because they all abandoned and deserted him the command from god to listen to jesus is terrifying dangerous even it's risky but 
that is where true transformation is found. The Christ who reveals himself in the transfiguration is capable of incredible transformation. But we have a hard time listening to him, trusting him, trusting that if we do listen, that transformation is actually possible. I don't think there's anyone in this room who who would say we don't, in some part of our being, desire for real transformation for ourselves, for those that we love, those that we have been praying for, those who are sick, those who are suffering from addictions, those who are mourning. We can look around in our world and see all of the places where we so desperately want transformation. But the hard thing is trusting that Jesus can actually do it. That listening to him, being obedient to him, and trusting that through our obedience, God might actually use us to bring about transformation. So this this Lent season, I want to encourage us to slow down, to listen more, to be attentive, to pay attention to what God might be saying to us. Because transformation is possible. We can be transformed. We can transform the world around us, but not on our own. These are not, this is not something we can do of our own accord. But the Christ who revealed himself on that mountain, who transfigured himself before his disciples, who conquered death to rise from the grave, is capable. And this is the Christ we are called to listen to. Amen.